This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, this is episode 55 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back this week. Snowmageddon is sort of behind us, sort of not. There's still snow and ice out here, but we've got a great episode this week. We're back with our Best of Master segment, and both Steve and Joe braved the elements to hop on Skype and record this show with me today. So thanks for joining us, guys, and welcome back. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome, Joe. Yeah, I braved the elements already. Actually, I have probably the worst car, the worst snow car in the history of snow cars. It's got like 560 horsepower rear wheel drive. And I can tell you that I drove it here today and it was fine. So <laughs> the, the roads are okay as far as everywhere that I'm seeing. Yeah, but you today's know, not the bad day. That was yesterday. I had a close call yesterday and it was not totally ridiculously terrible driving on my part, but you know where it's kind of by your office, Steve, where Boone's Ferry intersects country club and you can hang a left and go up to Lake Oswego high school or you can keep going straight. So it kind of has a little bit of a downhill there. You don't really notice the downhill unless it's covered with snow and ice, kind of an afterthought downhill. But car came up to go across Country Club towards Lake Oswego High School, and the light changed like super quick. And I was going about 25. I wasn't hauling. It was yesterday, right about two o'clock when the snow was falling and the freezing rain just started falling on top and tapped brakes and started to slide a little bit. And this car was creeping across the intersection because the light changed. And I said, you know what? Screw it. Lights don't apply. So I kind of went to the right and went behind him as he crossed through the intersection and just kind of went on my merry way and I made wow. it home. <laughs> wow. I did see some cars on the way in on the side streets that tried to navigate up them and they kind of slid and there was like a sideways T-bone and some other stuff. So it wasn't without its carnage last night, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The ice is actually the worst component of a snow day or bad weather session you can have. And that's really what it was all about yesterday. So PPG actually was slated to have their company holiday party at three o'clock to six o'clock. That was rescheduled, needless to say. So there's a bunch of people running around here having all sorts of fun trying to figure that out. That and the canceled school multiple days in a row. I'm sure there's lots yeah. of parents enjoying that. So. Hey, for our listeners' benefit, Tucker, congratulations. You have a new addition. I understand you got to pick out two-thirds of the names. <laughs> <laughs> two-thirds. He had to have the last name, and I got the middle name, of course. So, yeah, thank you very much. Levi Axel, yeah. So, I obviously am a big GNR fan, so, you know, that's where that comes from. But little uh, Snapple fun fact. Did you know that Axel Rose, because I had to look this up before I was filling out the birth certificate, just because you get baby brain after you're in the hospital for a while, and spelling is not as easy as you might think after, you know, being totally exhausted. And I looked up how Axel Rose spells his name. Do you know, well, first of all, it's not his first name, but second of all, he spells it A-X-L. Oh. I don't know that I knew that. Yeah, well, now everybody does. So there you go. And Axel Foley spells it A-X-E-L, as in like Beverly Hills Cop character. So I chose the latter on the spelling, just so you know. But (laughs) so now if you ever asked during Jeopardy, you know the answer to that question. (laughs) Anyway, we, we digress. So why don't we hop into what we got going on here, which is best of masters. And we've got three really good topics today. We're going to kick it off with a first one that I think probably has affected everybody as of lately to some extent or another. And I'm interested what you guys have to say about it. But it was a post on November 29th by Amy Muncy, and she wrote appraisals, semicolon. What on earth is going on? 
an $1,800 minimum for a turnaround so slow that all my six-week transactions are turning into eight-week transactions. Appraisers, semicolon. I get it when you're super busy, but now, question mark, now the appraisal issue is flat out price fixing. So obviously a lot of frustration here in this post. I absolutely understand why, but maybe I'll throw it over to you, Joe. Why don't you kick off kind of what you think of this and what you're seeing out there and how we can combat it, if at all. You bet. Well, it's definitely a big, big issue. And so we'll start number one with the problem. Okay. A lot of appraisers retired, moved out of the state, died, whatever. There's an extreme shortage. It's kind of like having two waiters that is the only staff for this entire restaurant. There is such a shortage. It's it's killing everybody and killing all of the timelines. So number one is the problem. Number two is kind of the appraisal background. I actually made some calls yesterday to some appraisers and I went to the OregonACLB.org website, which is the appraiser certification and license board. So we also need to know how to fix the problem, which is what's their barrier for entry. So to be an appraiser, First and foremost, you need a bachelor degree of some kind, and it needs to be from an accredited school. Beyond that, you need about 2,500 hours or two years being an apprentice for someone who is currently an appraiser. And then you need three to five years of working in that field before a bank really will feel comfortable about picking you up. And that three to five years of working does not include your apprenticeship. Aside from that, you need about two to 300 hours of classes. And what makes it exponentially more difficult is the people that are out there that are appraisers, they can have an apprentice come under them and take them under their wing for the two years time. But that appraiser is sort of acting as a managing principal broker, right? So all of their own appraisals put them on the chopping block and all of their apprentices go on the chopping block too under that guy's name. So you have one complaint or one report, if anything happens with that loan within five years, whether it's the original loan from the sale or that mortgage company sold the paper to a different mortgage company, anything happens in five years, they're going to investigate it from the appraiser or all the apprentices. And whoever's acting as the appraiser for those apprentices is the guy who's on the chopping block. So it's a humongous liability snafu and nobody wants to touch it. So the barrier for entry to get more appraisers is next to impossible. So that's the problem and that's the slow solution to fix it. The third component is the rush fee. We can't look at it as a rush fee. Let's just get rid of the word rush. This is the appraisal fee today. It's the fee. It is what it is. And it's your classic supply and demand. There's so few of them doing so many appraisals. They're going to cherry pick who and which property they appraise. I had a property for $1.3 million off of Stafford. Five acres. It had a barn and some outbuildings. It was under farm deferral. It had lots of components. And it was a very difficult appraisal. And to get that appraised, it's going to cost you seven to eight fifty for the appraisal itself, plus another additional maybe twelve hundred dollars to two thousand dollars in addition to get them there. Because why would someone want to take 
on a farm with farm deferral and outbuildings and this really complicated thing when they can go into a cookie cutter subdivision, bang it out in four hours and have comps all around them that are exactly the same. So it's really supply and demand. So if you look at this rush fee, it's not a rush fee because if someone said, you know what, I'm not going to pay that extra fee. I'm just going to pay my appraisal. And then in 30 days or 45 days, someone will pick me up. We don't need a rush. It has nothing to do with it. You will never get picked up, right? Because how much money we make, it depends on these appraisers work off of supply and demand. So their workload and time versus the money they make during that time is what motivates them. And unfortunately, it is what it is. And we see it in every single market across the country. We had a shortage of houses and we were getting multiple offers from buyers. Five years ago, sellers couldn't give their houses away and the buyers were lowballing everybody. So we need to work on our timelines and be realistic with what the timeline will be when we can realistically expect an appraiser to come out. And we need to educate our buyers to let them know that it's not going to be just $700 or $850. It's going to be closer to $2,000. And there isn't a quick fix in the mix unless the barrier for entry for appraisers drastically gets reduced. Thanks for all that research. First of all, Joe, you did you did some phenomenal research there. Do you think, Joe, the barrier needs to be that high? I mean, these aren't radiologists, right? I mean, these appraisers do effectively what we do, maybe a little bit more precise on the valuation, but don't we need to know as much or more than an appraiser? Yet we don't have those types of barrier to entry. And I know we're going to talk about later in this podcast changes to our industry and, you know, maybe raising that barrier, but should even ours be that high? And why is theirs higher? What's your thoughts on that, Joe? Well, that's a good question. I think ours needs to be substantially higher. And that's part of a segment for what to expect in 2017. You know, everyone is kind of a bandwagon person. If the real estate market's booming, you're going to get everybody. You're going to get hairdressers and teachers who want to sell real estate during the summer and Uber drivers that want to sell real estate on free time. It shouldn't be like that. That's part of the problem. We have this influx of all these realtors and everyone complains about how the professionalism level is going down the toilet. Yet in hindsight, we have appraisers that I'm not knocking appraisers, but they're kind of second fiddle, right? We have to go to someone's house, they've lived there for 10 years, and we have to tell them what the market value is. And it's not always easy. And some CMAs that I do take five and six hours to really be confident about that price. You put it on the market, you get an offer in two weeks, they're coming in after the fact that says, well, you put it on the market, you got a full price offer in two weeks. They just have to justify it to the bank because it's the collateral for the bank, right? And there's no more support out there than the subject property being tried and tested on the market and obtaining a strong offer in a couple weeks. So you think that would be a no-brainer. So I would like to see the appraiser barrier for entry to be greatly reduced and the barrier for entry for realtors and the barrier to maintain our license to be greatly raised in the real estate community. So I think that is a great injustice. So that was a two-part question. Should ours be higher and should appraisers be lower? And I'm with you. I think the answer is yes on both. I guess in regards, we'll talk about our barrier later, 
But as far as appraisers, yeah, I mean, bring that barrier down. This guy is not doing medical procedures on human beings. I mean, what you just rattled off as the barrier to entry for appraisers sounded a lot like a doctor's, you know, the path that they would take between med school and then a residency. And, you know, the average doctor doesn't start banking some money until they're 30. And it sounded like an appraiser is pretty much on that same path. The part I don't fully understand is, did this happen overnight? I mean, did they raise those barriers quickly? We've talked about it a lot in the last year, year and a half, but was it this bad three, four years ago? Or did we just suddenly have a lot of people retire all at once in a big wave? I know the market got a little bit busier. It's it's a crazy issue. I get the supply and demand component of it, and I look at it two ways. First of all, I mean, the government could come in and they could say, hey, appraisers across the board, thousand bucks, no more, done, right? I mean, they have the ability to do that. Now, on paper, we might all sit here and go, oh, that'd be great. But guess what? <laughs> then the line is now nine weeks long and you have no way to navigate that or speed it up. So I don't think that's the issue either. It is an unfortunate situation. It really is unfortunate because I think it defies what Dodd-Frank and all these other regulations have tried so, so hard and, and have somewhat done in a good way in some regards with lending. And 10 years ago, lenders could charge whatever they wanted and they could build it on the interest rate. They could charge it up front and right, wrong or otherwise, that was the way the game worked. That was the way the business worked. And so lenders had every incentive to try to give higher rates and they'd make more money. They came in with Dodd-Frank. They nipped that. They've changed a lot of other things. How in the heck has this snuck through? I mean, whatever the lender is no longer making is now going to the appraisers. I just had one recently. We talked about it on the podcast. We paid $3,000 for it. And while that was horrific, thank goodness we could pay $3,000 for it because it had been four weeks and the appraisers would not pick it up. You know, week one, week two, week three, week four, finally the lender stepped up and they paid the $3,000 and they rattled some cages and they got it done in like four days from there. So in some regards, it's egregious that it was that much, but in other regards, it's kind of nice that we're able to do that just so we could get the darn thing done. The system is broken. I agree. I agree that what needs to change is the barrier to entry needs to be lowered dramatically. I don't know how that happens, but I hope it does. What do you think, Tucker? I don't know. I've got an interesting proposal. I'm interested what you guys think. So I had a transaction, I don't know, a month ago or so, and Wells Fargo was handling it originally. And we eventually kicked them to the curb for a variety of reasons. But the biggest being is that they had an appraisal management company that they ordered the appraisal through. And I was in your situation, Steve. It wasn't getting picked up. It wasn't getting picked. Literally, it sat out there for two weeks. And this was a Lake Oswego home. It was a higher end home, but it wasn't like as difficult nearly as an appraisal as Joe mentioned, because a couple million bucks in Lake Oswego is much easier to appraise than a couple million bucks out in, you know, way out in Timbuktu somewhere, a big property with outbuildings and farm deferral and all that stuff, right? So what we did is we switched him over to a buddy of mine, and Joe, you probably know him, Matt Potter. You know, he works for Chase now, and basically, I think what they have set up is they have in-house appraisers, and so they literally had the appraisal picked up and done within like three or four days, and it was back within like five or six total, and so it really sped things up, but my question here is, it's not to just you know, Pump Matt, although he did a fantastic job. You know, do you think that that's the future? Do you think that maybe like directors, Steve, do they 
invest in, you know, their own appraisal department where then they can avoid a lot of the problems that this has created. You know, do you think that's something that other companies that are bigger are going to do? I don't think the regulations allow that, Tucker. That was very clear up front that they wanted a firewall between lenders and appraisers. I don't know if it was explained correctly to you. I, Chase is a big bank. They know what they're doing and they're not, they're not going to mess way, around. Dedicated appraisers. Okay. So maybe not, they're not on staff with them, but exactly, dedicated, exactly. dedicated appraisers. Exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, obviously. To the best of my knowledge, I believe directors, this, this is what's kind of interesting too. Lenders are allowed somehow to own AMCs. And to the best of my knowledge, I believe directors does have some type of setup like that. Again, they're a large company. They're completely above board and it's done the right way. But I believe they have their own AMC. The problem that I'm hearing is that all an AMC is, is a pool of appraisers. Right. And these guys, and so they have the same appraisers in their AMC as you know many of the others. And of course, the the great thing about having an AMC is you can you can fire people, you can remove them if somebody if somebody does a horrific job and is worthy of it, they can remove them from it and they can add others in it. But the reality is, it's made up of a bunch of people that are uber busy and just are going to require these large fees to get the appraisal done. To your point, Tucker, I mean, logistically speaking, right? If directors said, "Hey, let's put some guys on our payroll and put them on our AMC." These guys are making money hand over fist right now on their own. I don't know what you'd have to pay them in order to, to yeah, make I don't that know. I mean, I don't know what the setup is exactly, which is, it'd be interesting maybe to have Matt on at some point and figure it out because it was literally the smoothest appraisal process that I've seen in a long time. And, you know, there's got to be something that they're doing. And, you know, like you're right, though, if guys are making money hand over fist, why would they go? You know, it's kind of like the cubicle loan officer, right? Why would you go sit in a big firm and make, you know, five basis points, you know, on every loan that goes through when you could go originate your own if you've got business just banging down your door and make five times that? Yeah. You know, that's obviously a good question. I don't know what their setup is, but whatever it is, it worked pretty damn well. So, yeah, I think you should get mad on the show. I will tell you, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. We'll have one and, and it's not always the funky properties. The one where we paid $3,000 for it or our, the lender did, it was an in-town, you know, garden variety type home in a subdivision. And so sometimes we'll get one and, and I think you sensed this as you read that thread. They're not all like this. Sometimes they're great. I mean, somebody even mentioned on the thread, they had a VA appraisal that was back in a couple of weeks. But then you get these other ones that that's are like just a unicorn, though. That, that yeah, doesn't yeah. Exist. And then you get these other ones that are just weeks and weeks and weeks, and nobody picks it up, and then it turns into this horrific situation. The only thing I will say, folks, that will give you any comfort in this process is I here and now on mid December of. 2016 truly do believe that interest rates are on their way up. We've seen it. They're about three quarters of a percent up since the election. We are seeing and hearing. I went to an economic forum a week ago that Lawyers Title put on. It was some great speakers. There was one of the economists that works with the state of Oregon. And they were saying a lot of things that we're seeing and hearing out there, which is that the labor market is tight and unemployment is below 5%. And what people are having to do is pay more to get employees. Well, when you pay people more, guess what is effectively happening? Inflation is starting to occur. And as inflation happens, interest rates will go up. Inflation is the arch enemy of mortgage interest rates. And I think 
I think we're, we're going to be a year from now sitting here talking about interest rates near 6%. I, I just think that's the reality. That's going to dry up those refis, which do require appraisals. So I think about a third of the appraisals out there will really, really slow down when the refi market. And I think that will help this situation. Yeah, I agree. Let's too. Move, I mean, you know. Yeah, let's move on to the next question. I will go on and cover this one, read it to our listeners here. So this one was posted November 11th by Brandy Lynn Erkskine, and it said, this is a first. I was told that a seller watched me live at a home inspection from his Nest system that he has hooked up to his phone. So he watched me, my buyer, and the home inspector. He was highly offended at things I said, so they will not be performing any repairs. I partially feel violated, but understand I'm in someone else's home. But to take repair negotiation conversations and be offended is unreal to me. How do you explain that sale fail? Joe, why don't you go on to that one and tell us your thoughts on it? (laughs) Well, you know, we've touched on this one before and, you know, Big Brother is everywhere. If you get in your car and you drive five miles, there's a chance you're probably on 30 to 50 cameras. If you look at all the freeway cameras, you know, all of the banks, all of the stores that you walk through, there's cameras everywhere. Hey, why not have it in houses? You know, it's for protection. It's for lots of different reasons. I'm not really happy about it that the seller can see and listen what's going on. And it might give them an edge as far as negotiations. You know, years and years ago in the car dealership, They used to go into the conference room and then the salesperson would say, hey, I'm going to go talk to my manager and he would walk out. Well, those conference rooms were, you know, microphoned. They would listen to the whole conversation and then they'd walk back in and magically say, hey, my manager said we can do this amount and they have a deal. Well, I think there's enough reasons for houses that you're going to want a camera either for safety for your kid or safety for your house or, you know, to see what's going on. And they're cheap. You know, you can go out for just a couple hundred bucks, get a handful of drop cams. You know, I know Comcast has something where they have cameras built in. So does Frontier. And there's millions of, you know, movable wireless cams as well as hardwired cams. So I think what we have to do is just sort of expect that when you walk into a house, I mean, it's invasive for two parties, right? Anytime someone puts their house on the market, they're kind of living in a fishbowl. You have realtors and buyers and they're coming through and opening closets and stuff. I mean, it's invasive for the seller, but if a seller has cameras throughout their house, it's kind of invasive for the buyer and that realtor. And it comes down to education, professionalism, and letting your buyers know. When I walk into a house, you know, if I see a camera, I'll point and say, hey, I see a camera above the front door, which means it's going to be inside. So careful what you say, because you're probably going to be on video. You're probably going to have your audio recorded, and we don't want to say anything that will weaken their position. So it boils down for me, you know, I don't think we need to mandate anything that sellers on the market can't have cameras. I think we just need to prepare and train our buyers and inspectors and everybody that goes in the house during that transaction that you will be on digital recording for your audio and video at some time. So if you have something really juicy to tell me, let's go outside, sit in the car, tell me all you want, but let's not comment on these things in the house because it will get to them, I'm sure. Joe, it sounds like you are of the opinion that it is legal. Is that correct? Well, Because that was debated here, and I'm just curious your thoughts. I've got my opinions, but I'm curious yours. 
Well, if a homeowner wants to have cameras throughout their house on the inside and outside, there's nothing illegal about that. Now, I don't know the legality of you're on the market and there's buyers there and the sellers can extract information. I don't know if that's necessarily legal or not. And that's not my point. Whether it is illegal or not, I don't care. I mean, the law says I have to stop at stop signs. I only do if I see a cop car close by. <laughs> if I don't see a cop car, it's, no cop, only, no stop, right? it's, you know. it's only illegal if you get caught, right? <laughs> when it comes to that legal or illegal, there's going to be cameras and recordings regardless. I'm taking it a step further and saying there's a high probability that we'll be on camera or at least audio. So let's watch everything we do and say, and we can have candid conversations far away from the house. So I don't know if it's legal, but yeah. I just assume no, that we're I, on I'm with camera. you, Joe. I don't think it's illegal. Now, Richard Mario seems to on this thread, and there was a little bit of a debate on that. Richard Mario is a great attorney. He's actually our PPG's attorney, the go-to attorney. I don't know that I agree with him here. I had researched this in the past. I reached out to a different attorney at that time, and they said definitively it is not illegal. Now, what Richard Mario seems to be showing here is legalities on being recorded, voice audio recorded. And I get that you are technically audio recording, so I'm not going to say definitively, but here's what I do know is the other attorney that I spoke with in the past, and I think this might be a little bit murky, to be fair. I mean, I don't think there is, you know, I think there's different schools of thought and, and different interpretations, but that attorney said, no, I mean, the legalities for filming, especially in your own house, only come into play if there's any type of possibility of nudity. Obviously, we've all seen the horrific stories of people where they have it in their bathrooms and stuff. That is hands down, flat out illegal. Or other areas where there's expected privacy. If you're putting it in common areas where that is not the case, it's, to the best of my knowledge, it's allowed, it's legal, you can do it. And think about it. I mean, we see, Joe, you started this whole segment with saying, on our way here, you and I and Tucker were on 30 different cameras. I didn't give my permission. Did you? So where do where do you start crossing lines? Everybody's got to sign a waiver and say, oh, yeah, you can you can film me or you can or you can't. And where does sound come in? I just think I think there's so many cameras out there in this world that you have to kind of make the assumption that it's legal. So moving away from that, because there was a couple things going on with this thread. I'm a thousand percent in agreement with you, Joe. She sounds like she said some stuff she shouldn't have in the house. For the seller to be offended, I doubt she was just saying, you know, that roof looks like it might have some issues. Let's ask for a credit. I mean, she might have been bashing the house. And we have talked about this before. Wherever you are, whenever you are, anywhere, including alongside a freeway <laughs> or in a house or in a grocery store or out in the middle of the woods, you should act like there could be a camera on you because there are cameras everywhere. There are cameras in everybody's pocket. There's cameras in, you know, almost every structure out there. So what you do and say could be recorded. It could be heard by others beyond who you're actually talking to. So best practice is to act like you're always being recorded and listened to by by somebody else and to to act accordingly and, and make sure that nothing you say could be taken offensively. For that matter, another good rule of thumb is anything you put in writing should be treated as if it's going to be viewed by the entire world because it's very easy for it to happen in this day and age as well. So yeah, 
It was an interesting thread for sure. And I think it's only going to get more and more common as time goes by. As time goes by and those cameras get less and less expensive. I mean, I was looking through some, you know, one of those like air mall magazines that you see on an airplane. And they have these cameras now that for your dogs that you can have like a little dispenser that gives them a treat. And they're like 50 bucks. I mean, the, the price is just dropping and dropping and, and technology is getting, getting better. I think as rare as this might be today, I think a couple years from now, we'll be surprised when there isn't a camera inside of a house. Tucker? Well, I guess I got two comments. One is, you know, I know a guy. This guy is not me, so just for the record. But he, <laughs> he renovates and he builds homes. And he actually has a camera in the main living area of all the houses that he sells. You know, not obvious, right? And it comes with sound. And it's done wonders with his ability to negotiate <laughs> with people, right? Because it's sure. kind of like the car sales thing that Joe mentioned, right? And so, yeah, I think, you know, Joe also had a good point in that you have to assume that if you're in somebody else's space, maybe just stay generic with your talk, right? Until you get back to the office, in the car, outside of their personal space, which would be their home. That would be the first thing. Number two is how in the world, Brandy, was it Brandy that, uh, yeah, Brandy's post. Yeah. How in the world did she get told that she was recorded? I mean, doesn't it seem odd that that would then even come up? I mean, you know, you could record people, but then to be like, hey, I recorded you and I didn't like what you said, so I'm not going to do any repairs. That seems kind of odd. I mean, you think you'd just take your stance, right? And it seems odd to me that you would communicate to them that you actually did record them and you didn't like what they said. And because of that, you're not doing the repairs as opposed to just saying, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it or we're not going to do it. That seems kind of weird to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, yeah, why would you like come a, out and say that? I don't get that either, Tucker. I feel like maybe it was a strained relationship with the listing agent or something, too. And yeah. I, I don't know, because for me, if I'm not a listing agent, but if I was and my buyer was like, hey, I recorded those a-holes and they said this, you need to tell them that yeah. we're not doing anything. I'd be like, no, I'm not going to tell them that, but I'll tell them we're not going to do anything. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's kind of yep. how I probably would have handled it. And then you don't give them you know, a reason to be angry that you're not doing it, right? It's just black and white. Look, they don't want to do the repair, period, the end. It's not because it's out of spite because they heard you say something not so nice about their cat or, you know, the dolls that you have all over the house or something, you know? So that's, <laughs> so those would be my two, my two cents on it, Steve. Yeah. Hey, I, I just got a $160 speeding ticket where I was cruising around Beaverton Hillsdale Highway. You know, I'm pretty aware of my surroundings and no cops around or anything, but it was one of those cameras mounted on the pole. So you're free to speed, right? No cops around? Free to, yeah, free to speed. <laughs> well, that's changing too. And 160 bucks, and then you go to the website and then you can pull up the photos, you know, to see the picture, right? And sure enough, there's me plain as day. Great picture. You know, it's totally me. <laughs> so I got to mail that in, but you can't go anywhere without being on camera and or audio. So, you know, I heard a tip and maybe this is false. Maybe it's true. But if you are running that light and you see that camera, it's going to flash, cover your face and they can't give you the ticket because they can't prove it's you. Oh, so well, the verbiage was pretty strong that, you know, you are undeniably stating that this is not you under perjury of law and all this. Oh, other wow. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how far they're going to push that, but I think they just go through the process of, can you definitively see their face? Yes. Send the ticket. If not, uh, on to the next one, you know, I have an idea for an invention that I want somebody to come out with. So in the state of Oregon, 
law requires that you have to have a front license plate, right? I want somebody to invent a little button that's on your steering wheel that you can push and a shutter comes down and slams your license plate over your license plate. So that as you're about to go through one of those lights, you just push the (laughs) button, go through, and then you're safely on the other side. I want a patent on that. <laughs> we'll get working on that over here. Yeah. You need one of those camera jammers. So, you know, forget the license plate. Just <laughs> you're sending a signal that's jamming their cameras. So you're free to do whatever you want. Yeah, uh, hey, we're, in, we're in Never Never Land here. So we can have whatever we want, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Back to real estate. Okay, Joe, introduce our last topic. This was one you actually posted. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, rounding out the end of the year, this is the last best of masters for this year. And there's always a time to kind of put this year up on a hanger and look towards next year. And so I'll read it real quick. It's sort of long, but I'll read it. It says, what do you want for our industry in 2017? We are fortunate enough to be a very powerful group mm-hmm. filled with the ears of other realtors, PMAR, OAR, RMLS, the real estate commissioner team, the ethics committee, master circle board of directors, high powered attorneys, company owners, title people, vendors, and the list goes on and on. What do you expect or demand from our industry in 2017? What has to happen to make being a realtor better? This could be professional courtesy, technology. It could be involved with the lender appraisal, title-related stuff. You name it. We have the full attention of the audience who can make this happen. What do you need and what do you want to see get done? What do you think, Steve? Yeah, it was such a great post, Joe. And to be honest with you, I was a bit disappointed that it only got 16 comments because I think that one should have really lit up and got a lot of juices flowing. But that said, there were some great ideas here. As I went through it, there was a lot of talk about education. There's a lot of talk about the barrier to entry. And I'm just going to call it as it is, okay? If you're in real estate, you want the barrier of entry to be a Donald Trump style wall around the industry, right? If you're not, you don't. <laughs> We're all fortunately in real estate, so I think we all want it. I agree. I mean, it's, I'd love to have it higher. If you had asked me, you know, a number of years ago when I wasn't, I would I'd be thrilled that it wasn't, but kind of to my point. But yeah, I think it would be great for it to be higher. I think when you look at what the appraisers have to do, I wonder why the realtors don't have to have some kind of apprenticeship program. You know, here at PPG, we make newly licensed agents that are licensed. I think it's either less than six months or less than a year. I forget which it is. If they've been licensed less than that amount of time, they have to go through a mentorship program that we provide where their first four transactions, they're paired up with a mentor. They have to take regular weekly classes for the first three months that train them on everything. It'd be great if the industry as a whole did that just so there aren't agents out there that are, you know, getting bumped and bruised without any help in the process. I think we all can agree that the test and the study matter and the curriculum that you go through to get your license is not necessarily prepping you for the actual business of real estate. There was a great comment here by Andrea Blackwell. She said, you know, why basically I still don't understand why we're tested on meets and bounds, but not etiquette, technology, negotiations and sales. I I thought that was a great point. I mean, there is some really dated material in the test that I have yet to ever use. I'm sure, Joe, you haven't used it either. And then there's a lot of other stuff that'd be great to have in there. So 
I think education it would be a great thing to get in there. You know, I think we'd all love to see something done about the appraisal issue and maybe lowering that barrier, kind of like we talked about before, raising ours a bit, lowering theirs. What were some of the things you saw, Joe? Well, you know, there's a common theme amongst all of these questions, right? The common theme is professionalism. And that is obtained through education and knowledge. So, you know, you need to know the the protocol. You need to educate yourself, be more knowledgeable about everything, including technology. I think we need to work together. Everything kind of seems to be a fight and we need to work on working together. And the knowledge, there's a lot of things that you can bulk in knowledge. It's, it's understanding RMLS. It's understanding century lock. It's understanding realistic timelines. It's knowing technology. You know, it's funny. We have a bunch of TVs all over the office, and you can get your notebook computer and broadcast your screen onto any of the TVs, right? It's great for presentations. The time to figure that out is not five minutes before your clients are coming in the door. And it's like, hey, how come my computer isn't broadcasting to the screen? And then they get pissed off at the TV and the computer and the system and it's not working. You know, it's funny. I learned something many, many years ago. My buddy used to work in IT and he would try and solve a problem. And the IT guy next to him say, hey, what was that about? And he'd say, well, it's a it's an RTM problem. And RTM in the IT problem solving community stands for read the manual. So it really isn't a problem. It's just someone's calling in because they didn't read the manual or spend any time on it whatsoever. So it's also called RTFM, by the way, and you could probably figure that out. But got the uh, acronym there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's you need to prepare and plan and know what you're doing. I think there needs to be a higher barrier for entry and a higher barrier for retaining your license. I think we need some forward thinking. For example, if this whole appraisal debacle, when the appraiser finally gets there, you should very well have the smoke detectors to code in place. The carbon monoxide should be there and you should have everything clear of the crawl space. If not, you're going to have to wait another 45 days for them to come back and cost the buyers another $150 to make sure that that has been done. So you need to think about what's happening and what they need to see. We need to fix the appraisal issue. Probably the biggest component here is I want RMLS and PMAR and OAR to be our allies. People love to complain and say RMLS is archaic. We heard that not very long ago. We heard people complain about century lockboxes. I don't necessarily know that all of these are problems. I think if you know the program and the operations of these things inside and out, you'll find out that it could be a very effective tool for you. I think there's always room for improvement, but knowledge and knowing what you're doing is pretty important. So I think it's multifaceted, but I think it centers around education, knowledge, and common courtesies amongst peers. Yeah, there was some hate towards RMLS on here. What's your take on that? Joe, I mean, do you think RMLS has issues? 
I, I know think you're going to be careful here, but I mean, do you think there's tremendous room for improvement? Because I don't see it. I, you know, and and there was people questioning. They're like, I'm confused. What what is wrong with RMLS? And there was like two or three people that are like, Yeah, it's got like you said, archaic. It's got all these issues. And then a lot of people are like, What are they? And I'm kind of in that camp. I think I think it works pretty well for what it's meant to do. I could it be better? Of course, every website could be better. You know, everybody hates on Zillow, and they they're a multi-billion-dollar company with you know two thousand some smart. Stanford grads working for it. So what's your take, Joe? Well, I think RMLS has been really working hard to bring us what we want. Before, we would want some improvement and you send it to the board and say, hey, it would really be nice if you added this feature or added these statistics or if we were able to do this. And the board meets and they talk about all of these requests and they do listen to it. Now, there's one improvement that helps one guy who lives on farmland and there's another improvement that would help 5,000 local brokers. I mean, that's going to get the most attention. But kind of the point is with masters, you're sort of skipping that whole procedure. I mean, we got PMAR on masters. We have the high ups of RMLS and OAR and masters circle. They're all here. They can just completely unravel those boards completely because they know what we want here. And then they can, I mean, they still need the board to talk about it and decide, but we no longer need to send those requests because they're watching it happen in real time through masters in real estate. But I don't have a problem with RMLS and I love the correspondence we've had. I'm trying to put something together with both PMAR and RMLS and the master's group. So we're all in it together as allies and I don't have any problems with them whatsoever. The problems I have are more with ethics and people not following the procedure. And if someone shows a house that's my listing and they don't call first and they don't leave a card and every light's burning and it's unlocked and they track it, dog crap, you know, that person's gone the moment they leave the door. I'm stuck with the fallout of my sellers being pissed. They're pissed at that person, but it's directed to me. So I'm trying to fix the professionalism, and that can only be done through education and knowledge. And I would really like a mandatory class that explains real estate protocol and what does appointment only mean? What does agent accompany mean? What does some of these other things mean? Because there's nothing worse than having clients upset and pissed off at you because of someone else's actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was some there was some complaints on CenturyLock too, and I just again I don't really see those issues. Again, there's room for improvement on every product out there, but I don't have monumental issues with CenturyLock. I think it works fairly well for what we needed to do. So it was interesting. Tucker, what do you want changed in 2017? You know, I think you guys made some great points in terms of the realtor side. I'll kind of jump in maybe on the on the builder developer side. I think that the biggest problem that we have in this area anyway is the cost of our new building permit for newly created lots. It's insane. It's forty to fifty thousand dollars or more for a building permit for a newly created lot. And so as long as that remains, and this is, you know, like Oswego, West Lynn, all throughout Portland, you know, your builders aren't going to be able to build affordable housing. They just cannot. It's basically like the Loch Ness Monster. It does not exist. So until we can figure out a way for that not to be the case, and maybe we spur growth by 
you know, really cutting that number down in certain areas that, you know, you could build more affordable type housing and it doesn't have to be a citywide thing. But I think if people got their heads out of their, you know what, and figured out how to not try and generate so much revenue from every building permit that's issued, we could really revitalize a lot of neighborhoods that right now are not or just not able to because the numbers just don't make sense. So I would hope that that's a a big discussion piece in 2017. I doubt it will be, but it would be nice if it was. Yeah, cool. To end on a positive note, I want to say I think most realtors out there here in the last few months have had to take an ethics training course. Isn't that correct, Joe? Am I understanding that right? Like everybody had to take it or or most did? Yeah. And the requirements I, every two years you need to take, I think it's a three hour ethics class. And the deadline was recently, like, I think just about everybody around here, like got the little thing in the mail and they're like, oh crap, I got to go take this course. It's three hours. And you know, we all, we all say that, but I did take it. It was actually kind of refreshing. And while, you know, we're all busy, no one wants to go sit for three hours through a class. I have to say, Tucker, you and I came from a different industry. We came from lending. They don't have that stuff. They don't have the National Association of Realtors. They don't have some of the support we have. And it shows, it shows having been on both sides of the fence here, I truly do think it is refreshing and a huge positive that we have such a great organization that governs us and keeps us, you know, professional, keeps us treating each other as we want to be treated. The National Association of Realtors is such a strong lobbying presence in Washington, and they really have protected our industry. They've protected our 1099s. In the last 10 years, the mortgage industry has just been decimated, and change after change after change has occurred, and regulation on top of regulation has occurred. We really have been protected, whether we know it or not, by such a strong association that is also committed to keeping us professional. So while we do have to take some ethics training and it does eat up some of our valuable time, it is such a good reminder. And I really was appreciative of that in that regards that there are little common courtesies as like, hey, this is my client. Don't steal them from me protections in place. I mean, you just do not see that in a lot of other industries. Yeah, I think they should have a sales 101 and how not to be an annoying idiot 101 class. That would be really good too. I think that might be a better purpose, honestly. I'm all for it. It needs to be (laughs) mandatory. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and I'd like to say a couple kudos to you guys for the Portland Real Estate Podcast. After the last podcast, I got texted by about a half a dozen people that said, the text would show up and all it said was, it's five o'clock, you pull the rope connected to the pterodactyl, it screams and everyone runs to their car. So I know you have <laughs> at least six, six listeners out there because they can only have heard it from that podcast. I think there's actually technically like seven or eight. So well, I think I think we're up to nine now, but you know, count <laughs> us. So And they also watch the Flintstones. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, we, we love having you on, we Joe. We're looking forward to 2017. Many, many more great things to come. For sure. Awesome. We got some great shows lined up, you know, but we always enjoy this one, Joe. So thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Steve, any parting words of wisdom or should we sign off? None. None. Done. Done and done. All right, guys. This is episode 55. We're signing off. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.